thank you, Father, um, that you are faithful. Um, Lord, we as we come to the word this morning, um, I just want to submit uh, my notes to you, Lord, my heart to you. Uh, Father God, would you be with us this morning? Would you soften our hearts and open our ears and our eyes ready to receive what you have for us? Amen. So good morning, church. Uh, this morning's text is from 1 Timothy 6, 11 to 16. Um, I was asked to try and keep it to about 20 minutes this morning. I failed, so bear with me. I'll, I'll get through it as, as fast as I can. <laughs> so uh, as Paul begins to uh, bring this letter to Timothy to a close, we read in verse 11. Uh, but you, Timothy, are a man of God, so run from all these things. Pursue righteousness and a godly life, along with faith, love, perseverance and gentleness. Fight the good fight for the true faith. Hold tightly to, uh, here we go, hold tightly to the eternal life to which God has called you, which you have declared so well before so many witnesses. And I charge you before God, who gives life to all, and God, and, and before Christ Jesus, who gave a good testimony before Pontius Pilate, that you obey this command without wavering. Then no one can find fault with you from now until our Lord Jesus Christ comes again. For just at the right time, Christ will be revealed from heaven by the blessed and only almighty God, the King of all kings and the Lord of all lords. He alone can never die and he lives in light so brilliant that no human can approach him. No human eye has ever seen him nor ever will. All honour and power to him forever. Amen. Brilliant. Well, guys, I trust you've all had a... Uh, well, as good a Christmas as we can under the, the current uh, kind of restrictions that we're under. Um, I've had a, I've had, really had enjoyed a nice, quiet Christmas this year. Um, and I don't know about you, but this year, because we haven't been able to see as much family as usual, um, it's been great to just spend time with the family. And I'll be honest, TV has been a slightly bigger part of the festive period this time. Um, watching home movies like uh, Home Alone, Elf animated movies all over the show. Disney Pixar getting a heavy rotation in my house. Uh, not just movies either. There are some absolutely classic old TV shows that have been kind of put back up. You've got two Ronnie's, old candles, uh, Morecambe and Wise, uh, and some old school game, game shows, and Sherlock Holmes. The Sherlock Holmes box set has been put back up on iPlayer. Over the moon about that. Love that show. Sherlock's brilliant, in fact. I love the way he can just kind of burst into a situation uh, and within a split second he knows everything about everyone in the room uh, he knows where you live because of the shade of dirt on your shoes he notices you've got an old football injury because of the way you tend to favor your left leg when you stand uh, he smells what you had for breakfast on your breath and and knows when you're lying when you say you didn't kill that visiting mime artist because of some obscure detail that unravels your whole story uh, in short, Sherlock's superpower is his ability to notice things and draw conclusions. Um, thankfully, in real life, it's you can't really do it as accurately as they do on the TV show. But still, I'm a, I'm a little bit conflicted about whether I would really want to meet Sherlock Holmes in real life. Um, I think it'd be super interesting to meet, but I do worry about what conclusions he might make about me. Would he notice that I bite my nails? And conclude that I'm an anxious person. 
uh, a woody spot that my uh, front tooth is chipped uh, and conclude I must have been in a fight. Uh, it's, it's kind of hard to make accurate conclusions from first impressions like he does in the TV shows and the books. Um, but what if he was to spend a week or even a month with me? What would he conclude then? So if, if Sherlock Holmes was to spend time with me, would he conclude that I was a good husband uh, or a loving father? How about a man of God? Well, here in the text of 1 Timothy, Paul has been describing many of the dangers and threats that face the Ephesian church, many of which we still face as a church today. And he's taking this time at the end of this letter to remind Timothy that as a man of God, he is to live his life in a way that communicates God's power at work in him to the world around him. You see, how we live our lives says a lot about what we believe and what we truly value. And it brings credibility to the message of the gospel that we bring with our mouths. See, our lives are the evidence of what we believe. And if that evidence doesn't support what we say, then Houston, we've got a problem. We, we risk undercutting the effectiveness of the gospel message. So how exactly are we supposed to demonstrate the power of Christ at work in our lives? What exactly is it that marks out the life of a man of God or a woman of God? Well, as we look at this section of Paul's letter, we see a few key pointers to Timothy. The first of which you might not have expected, but, but here it is. It's to flee. You see, one of the ways that a believer identifies or marks themselves apart from the rest of the world is by what they run from. Verse 11, but you, Timothy, are a man of God, so run from all these evil things. Now, you see, when I hear the word flee, I think, you know, of the idea of running away. And there's a, a pride response. Maybe it's because I'm a bloke um, that I have to choose to overcome, as if running away somehow is a weakness. Um, after all, in this same verse, doesn't it then go on to say that we should fight? You know, surely to, to run away from sin is a sign of weakness and, and maybe a lack of faith that God has made you a new creation and given you victory over sin. And we should just stand and fight the devil at every given opportunity. Well, that's wrong. <laughs> uh, let's let me help you kind of understand that. Imagine for a moment. Close your eyes if you can. Imagine you are in your garden on a beautiful post-COVID summer's afternoon. Warmth of the sun is on your face and the barbecue is gently sizzling away with your filling your nostrils with the smell of your favourite food. You hear the sound of a, a slight breeze. And then as you open your eyes, a grizzly bear bursts into your garden. And this is an aggressive black bear. He's in a bad mood. His claws are out. He's foaming at the mouth and he's looking at you with murderous intent in his eyes. What would you do? I tell you, I would not stick around very long at all. Uh, and I certainly wouldn't think about fighting it, that's for sure. I'd turn on my heels and run for the safety of my house, uh, knowing that my life very much depended on it. There'd be nothing brave about sitting there as if it wasn't a threat. There'd be no honour in fooling myself into thinking I could handle an angry bear with a little one-two combo if it decided it wanted a scrap. 
<laughs> and we as believers are to treat sin like a bear in our garden. We can't afford to take it lightly. We are outmatched and outgunned by sin. It's in our nature. We cannot fight it. We cannot take the devil in a straight fight. When sin is in our vicinity, our only hope is not in our own strength, but it is in the security and in the shelter of God. So to recognize our need to flee from sin is not a sign of weakness. It's a sign of maturity. John Stott once said on this subject, I love John Stott, by the way. Uh, he said, true. We are also to withstand the devil so that he may flee from us. But we are to recognize sin as something dangerous to the soul. We are not to come to terms with it or even negotiate with it. We are not to linger in its presence like Lot in Sodom. On the contrary, we are to get as far away from it as possible, as quickly as possible. So in the story of Joseph, <clears throat> for example, when Potiphar's wife tried to seduce him, he literally turned on his heels and ran from that house rather than stay in a situation that he knew he was not equipped to resist. He chose to honour God and he chose to honour his master rather than stay in a situation where he and his master's honour were at risk. Now, I used to teach uh, self-defence and the number one rule in self-defence is it's not that the best defence is a good offence. That's that's not it. The best and most important rule in self-defence is if you don't want to get hit, don't be where the punch is. Sounds simple, right? <laughs> you know, if you have an exit from a potentially dangerous situation, then you take it. If an attack is launched, the best way to avoid being hit is to move out of its path. Why then do we so often flirt with our sin? Why do we watch things that we know will trigger sinful thoughts or behaviours? Why do we set ourselves up in this way? Why do we set ourselves up to fail? I wonder... What sins do you have in your life that you tolerate or even indulge? Because let me assure you, they are as savage as any bear. More so, a bear can only kill your body, but sin will damage your eternal soul. Now, you may be thinking, well, yeah, for bad sins, sure, but my sins aren't too bad. You know, they may even seem enjoyable to you. They may even leave a sweet taste in your mouth. But let me tell you, they are nothing but death in disguise. Just because sin may leave a sweet taste in your mouth doesn't make it any less dangerous. You know, cyanide tastes of almonds. That doesn't mean it's fully full of nutty nutrition. Cyanide has been designed for one purpose and one purpose alone. That is to rob you of your life. And the same is true of sin. When you become aware of sin in your life, run. <laughs> Don't walk. Run from it. Run like you just lit the fuse on a stick of dynamite. Run like Usain Bolt, Mo Farah, Keith Cooper and Forrest Gump all rolled into one. Run from sin as fast as you can, because no matter how pleasurable it may seem, no matter how harmless you might have convinced yourself it is, sin exists for one purpose and one purpose alone, as a weapon in the hands of the enemy who is intent on stealing, killing and destroying those who would be saved and redeemed by the love, mercy and grace of God. 
So when you recognize sin, run with all your might, because if you lie with dogs, you will get fleas. If you play with fire, you will get burned. And if you tolerate sin in your life, it will corrupt you and rob you and bring nothing but separation from God and destruction to your soul. Man of God, woman of God, take Paul's advice to Timothy and flee from sin. Flee from lust, flee from greed, flee from pride. Ask God to highlight any sin in your life and then run from it with all your might. Paul tells us that a believer is known by what they flee. The second thing we see in this passage is that believers are also to be known for what they chase. Verse 11, it goes on to say, pursue righteousness and a godly life with faith, love, perseverance and gentleness. Running from sin is right and good and it's beneficial, but it is not enough on its own. Let's imagine now that we're back in that garden, but this time there is no house to run to when that bear turns up. Just open ground. Yes, of course, I still run. But if I don't know where I'm running, I'm either going to run out of breath, run out of steam, and that bear is going to catch me and kill me, or I'm going to run straight into the path of another predator. See, I may outrun that bear only to be torn apart by a lion. So the same is true of sin. If I run away from sin indiscriminately, I may simply find myself trapped in the snare of a different sin. I might have changed the name of my master, but I will still end up as a slave to sin. So then, when we face sin, it isn't going to be enough to just run from it. We need to know what we are running toward, or more importantly, who we are running toward. I said it before, we cannot take on sin in a fair fight. We need the power and the refuge of God to shelter and equip us with holiness. So I ask you this morning, how are you drawing strength from God? What are you chasing? How are you pursuing godliness in your lives? Are you looking for opportunities to grow in your faith and relationship with God? Are you actively pursuing holiness or just looking for a way to to be holy in a sinful world by making as, as few changes as possible so that you don't stand out too much? Are you chasing opportunities to grow in love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness and self-control in your daily lives? Do you spend time thinking about whatever is true and noble, right and pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, excellent or praiseworthy as the scripture tells us to? Or are you distracted by the things of this world and the deceitfulness of wealth? Let me reassure you, there is nothing you can gain in this life that is greater than salvation. There is no amount of money that is worth your holiness. There is a reason you never see a hearse being followed by a securicore van full of cash. There is a reason you never see a hearse being followed by a removals van full of stuff and gadgets and TVs. 
You can't take anything from this life with you into eternity. Only what is given by Christ. And these are not physical things. These are so much more valuable. To be a man of God or a woman of God is to chase after God. Or as it says in Ephesians 4, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and put on the new self. See that? You have to take off the old self. It's, it's active. It's an active participation. You have to choose to remove your old self and then put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. You can't be passive in your faith. It's not possible to passively free from sin. Nor is it possible to passively chase godliness. People of God are people of action. People of action and intention. What are your intentions for today? What are your intentions for this week? For this life? For your eternity? C.S. Lewis says there's no such thing as a mere mortal. And he's right. We we, will either live forever in heaven or we will live forever in hell and separation from God. What are you doing that is intentionally driving you towards eternity with God in heaven? So believers must, one, flee. Two, they must chase after godliness. Number three, They need to fight. We are instructed to fight. Again, you know, the the basic part of man part of me is like, yes, fighting, brilliant. Uh, But here we go. Let's just read what it says here. Fight the good fight for the true faith. Hold tightly to the eternal life to which God has called you, which you have declared so well before so many witnesses. And I charge you, before God who gives life to all and before Christ Jesus who gave a good testimony before Pontius Pilate, that you obey this command without wavering. Then no one can find fault with you from now until our Lord Jesus Christ comes again. So yes, it's fighting, but it's not fighting in the way that you might think. It's, it's fighting with your obedience, without wavering, in the face of resistance. See, there's, there's a reason that Ephesians uses the language of armour. Uh, it says, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against authorities, against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on, again, this is an active process, put on the full armour of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you have done everything to stand, stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith, which which you can extinguish all flaming arrows of the evil one. 
take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, and pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. We are in a battle. Flaming arrows. God in Christ has won the war, but until the day Jesus returns, we must continue the fight and to stand firm against the attacks of the enemy. To flee from sin, to chase after righteousness with all our might, to meet the lies of the enemy with the truth of God, to share the gospel, to take refuge behind the shield of faith, to guard our minds and our hearts and wage war against our fallen flesh with the sword of the spirit, to take off the old sinful nature and put on the new nature afforded to us by the blood of Christ and his amazing grace. Learn your Bible, people. Have those battle verses ready and holstered so that when the attacks come and when they do come, they will come, that you are ready. We must flee from sin, chase after godliness, fight against the attacks of the enemy. And finally, we must follow. As a child in Sunday school, uh, I would always dread being asked a question, especially because my dad was an elder in the church and that came with expectations that I should always know the answer. Um, but I did take comfort in the fact that whether I understood the question or I thought I knew the question, knew the answer or not, um, if I was ever stuck, the answer was probably Jesus. Uh, it's, you know, it's true. And so the answer to the question how do I live a life as a man of God or as a woman of God? The answer is once again, Jesus. Verse 15 tells us, at just the right time, Christ will be revealed from heaven by the blessed and only almighty God, the King of kings, the Lord of all lords. He alone can never die and he lives in light so brilliant that no human can approach him. That's a visual, isn't it? He alone can never die. And he lives in a light so brilliant that no human can approach him. No human eye has ever seen him, nor ever will. All honour and power to him forever. Amen. See, Paul finishes this passage by reminding us that our strength to flee from sin to chase after holiness and to fight the good fight for the faith finds its source and completeness in the person, example and finished work of Jesus. It's all about Jesus. There's only so much we can do on our own. Yes, we are called to participate, but without Jesus to, to give us the power, we are nothing. We're like a light bulb. Yes, there is so much potential for lightness there, but if it's not plugged in and connected to the power, it's useless. But as we pursue Jesus, as we press into Jesus, as we draw our strength from Christ, wow, our strength is renewed and we fulfill what we were made for. Stuart Townend wrote uh, in one of my favourite songs ever written. 
In Christ alone my hope is found. He is my light, my strength, my song. This cornerstone, this solid ground, firm through the fiercest drought and storm. He goes on in the last verse. I love the last verse. He says, no power of hell, no scheme of man can ever pluck me from his hand. Until he returns or calls me home here in the power of Christ, I'll stand. See, the ultimate answer to a life of godliness is, always was, and always will be, Jesus. Are you prepared to make a decision this morning? Will you be honest with yourself and God about the sin in your life that you have tolerated? Will you make, as we come to the end of the year, we, we, we often think about, about resolutions. Well, will you make a resolution this morning with God? Will you make a covenant with God this morning, here and now, to see that sin for the danger that it is and to run from it this moment? Will you trust Jesus to give you the strength that you need to reject the things that you know will lead to your destruction? Make this morning, right now, the moment you decide to turn your back and run from that sin. To run to God like your life depended on it, because it does. Make today the day that you resolve to chase after him with all your heart. To pursue holiness in your life above all else. To fight for and to stand firm in your faith in the face of ridicule and attacks from an enemy who seeks to steal, kill and destroy you. Will you dedicate yourself to following Jesus, trusting in him and the victory of the cross over death and over sin? Will you hold fast to him, obey him, lean on him, find shelter and strength in him? I think John Stott said it better than I can, so I'm going to leave you with this final quote from him. So then, we are both to run away from spiritual danger and to run after spiritual good, both to flee from the one in order to escape it and to pursue the other in order to attain it. This double duty of Christians, negative and positive, is the consistent reiterated teaching of Scripture. Thus, we are to deny ourselves and to follow Christ. We are to put off what belongs to our old life and to put on what belongs to our new life. We are to put to death our earthly members and set our minds on heavenly things. We are to crucify the flesh and to walk in the spirit. It is the ruthless rejection of the one in combination with the relentless pursuit of the other, which scripture enjoins upon us as the secret of holiness. Only so can we hope to be fit for the master's use. So I'll say again, make today the day. Make this hour the hour. The answer is Jesus. Thank you, Father, for your word. Your precious word. Lord, we thank you for your precious blood that was <laughs> spilled for us, Lord, for your body that was broken. 
Lord, we thank you that in you we find our strength and our protection. Lord, that, that you have defeated the enemy, Lord. Lord, we ask that you would fix our hearts that don't always want holiness, Lord. Sometimes we want what is bad for us. Lord, take our wants and heal them. Lord, give us the strength to recognise sin in our lives and run from it. And Lord, give us an overwhelming desire for holiness. Because God, you are faithful. Great is thy faithfulness. Lord, unto me. Bless you, Lord. Amen.